Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound is the Unfiltered Band. It means it is another episode of Unfiltered. The podcast continues. It is episode number 18 entitled Give Me a Break, which I'll break down and explain in just a couple of minutes is the Unfiltered Band. Thank you very much for getting us started. You can always get me going throughout the podcast about ones that we've done, topics you have, top tens you want to hear, reactions, whatever the case may be. You can get me on Twitter at Casey Stern. You can also get me at my YouTube channel and believe the same as well. When you think about things that we hear in sports, some more than others are hard to believe. And they make you say during this time period in which we don't have any baseball before the second half begins, so it is a break. It makes you say, give me a break. I'm going to hit a bunch of those today in addition to some baseball news heading into the second half and some observations and some reaction from All-Star, uh, among other things. We'll get into some life stuff here and have some fun here on the, the Give Me a Break edition because really there is nothing going on right now because there is no hockey, there is no basketball, there is no baseball because of obviously the break. Football, not yet. Uh, there's nothing. So you got me and I got you and uh, here we go. I, I want to start with, with this here. Because it is, it is so fitting. Rob Manfred, the commissioner. You don't need to be likable to be good at a job or a job in power. Sometimes you have to do the things that are difficult. You know, Spider-Man once said, smart man, with great power comes great responsibility. Or I think it was Aunt May who said it to him, but either way, follow me. Nobody expects you to be perfect. Nobody really can think of a commissioner, although Adam Silver would probably fit this case for me, and I've, I've met him, and, and, you know, like, you don't think about commissioners in any sport and be like, well, that's a dude I really want to hang out with. Like, they got to make tough decisions. Usually they're genuinely not loved because they have to make some decisions that are against players that you like, right? I get all that. But Rob Manford as a commissioner is... Without a doubt, and there's no question, unlikable. He's unlikable. There is nothing whatsoever about the character that we see in Rob Manfred or the way he carries himself that makes you like him. Now, I've talked to him many, many times and interviewed him many, many times. Always was very nice to me in person, right? And answered your questions. But there's a thing called tact that I think is important for anybody who holds any kind of a, an office of any kind to have, right? And this isn't politics, but it is the politics of baseball and sport. We're talking about the commissioner. Adam Silver, you might not agree with everything he says, but there's a way he carries himself, all right? There's a way he treats the players that you could tell. When you look at Rob Manfred, I could go to examples I've brought up in this pod before, like, for example, when everything happened, when Rudy Gobert shut the world down for COVID and nobody knew what was going to happen, and, you know, baseball hadn't agreed to get the players back on, and the league and the commissioner seemingly 
were, you know, doing a two-on-one handicap match against the players, and they were, you know, doing this whole thing about how, you know, the players don't want to play, the players are being greedy and making it look like it was the players' fault. So that way, when you are sitting at home, right, and you, the fan, are screaming, you know, what the hell, why aren't you playing? It's the players and not the owners. Now, it wasn't really that way. That's perception versus reality. But as I said in an earlier podcast, then he goes on SportsCenter on a Sunday conversation. And what? He's with all the other commissioners, right? And what's he doing? Basically, you know, screwing over the players and saying that, you know, they're horseshit. They don't want to play. I mean, in niceties, right? Kill them with kindness, but we're not stupid. Well, how stupid do we have to be to not realize how shit on these minor leaguers have been for seemingly since the beginning of time? Not getting fed, not having places to stay, to live. Those with young families having no idea how to support them. Trying to fight and follow a dream without the ability to feel comfortable of where they're going to have a pillow or a bed at night. Yet if you need them, you got to have them ready. They better be ready to go hit a curveball. They better be ready to throw a curveball, right? It's been that way forever. Where you got to have ridiculous scenes where players like Max Scherzer and David Price, among others, have given their own money to pay. And we saw this develop after COVID, right? To minor leaguers because they got no money. Where we've got to have a situation where, you know, the Oakland A's are one of the organizations who kind of do the shitting. And then they realize that they got caught with their pants down. So they say, oh, we're sorry. We didn't realize we were handling it this way. Of course you did. You were getting away with it until somebody said, how the hell can you treat that person that way? And now, oh, it's, it's, it's like people in life, okay? This is no different than people in life. People will treat, if you allow yourself to get kicked in the face, people will keep kicking you. I have learned that the hard way. That is how this world is, all right? We all need to wake up to that fact. They quiet you so that you don't stand up for yourself, and they pepper you so that you don't have a minute of breathing space to stand up for yourself because the minor leaguers don't have a word to say. I mean, we're not even in the big leagues yet. I can't go against my team. I, can't, I mean, I, 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 I need a chance to play. If I, if I get them mad at me, they're never going to call me up. I'm never going to get my chance to make any money, right? So you just got to live in the shit. That's how you have to live. Well, here's Rob Manfred at the All-Star game. Getting asked a question about, and I want to read exactly what he said. Getting asked a question about the pay that minor leaguers receive. And when I say the pay that minor leaguers receive, I say it in quotes because the minor leaguers don't receive any pay. If you don't believe me, get a load of this. So he gets asked if owners can't afford to pay minor leaguers or choose not to. And was posed a question with basically the idea that they're not getting living wage, and they're not. He says, quote, Commissioner says, I kind of reject the premise of a question that minor leaguers are not paid a living wage. Okay? We've made strides in the past few years in terms of what minor leaguers are paid, even putting to one side the signing bonuses that many of them have already received. They receive housing, they receive housing. Oh, you give them housing? No way. 
You give them a place to stay? Wow. Wow. Now, I was wrong. I was wrong. Major League Baseball, Commissioner Manfred, you are, you are the, you are the man. I mean, you're giving them a place to stay? They could sleep somewhere? No way. These people who you're training to basically make you money someday can go to bed at night and have somewhere in a sink to brush their teeth in a pot to piss in? No way. You are the dude, man. Wow. I mean, can you imagine the audacity of saying we give them a place to stay? What kind of horse shit is that? Give them a place to stay. This is a quote. It's unbelievable. Okay? He says, they receive housing, which obviously is another form of compensation. I want to tell you right now, which I will remind you several times, the annual, and it was in this article courtesy of ESPN, the, I'd never, I don't think I had seen the annual salary before. I knew how, about how high it was. But the commissioner will make this year $17.5 million as his annual salary. I want to repeat Rob Manfred is going to make $17.5 million as his salary himself, okay? He not the league. He can't hit. He's a lawyer. He's working for the owners, making $17.5 million this year. We give them housing. Well, how kind of you. I really, I, I was going to shit on you for all the stuff you don't do, but you give them a place to sleep. Wow. I don't know what else to say about that. Then he reiterates after pausing, I reject the premise that they're not paid a living wage. Now I want to tell you what the minor leaguers get in addition to this wonderful housing compensation, which they basically had to get. They basically. Had into paying. All right. They had to get like backed into a corner to feel forced enough to pay for these people to have somewhere to sleep at night. The people that really are investments to make them money, that they're grooming to make them money. The owners, who the commissioner works for. All right? Here's what the minor leaguers get paid. Players not on the 40-man roster with major league experience receive between $4,800 and $14,700 annually are only paid in season, which means they get no checks, they get no money when they're not playing during the offseason at all. So you better spread that $4,800 over the course of 12 months. Not just the 8-9 you're playing, but those other 3-4, you better spread that shit out too. How are you going to do that? $14,700 is the high end annually of what these guys get paid. That's living wage? That's below poverty level. That's below minimum wage. That's nothing. And you give them a place to sleep? Well, how great are you? Mr. $17.5 million a year annual salary. This is what's wrong with this planet. And notice I didn't say country. This isn't politics. What's wrong with this planet? Not only do people act like this, but they're batshit crazy enough to say this stuff out loud and not even feel bad.
I mean, it is it is bizarre how many people I have run into in life and how many people we are brought to our forefront in 2021, 2022. And it is the worst epidemic in this world right now. The wor- there, are, there are illnesses and all sorts of stuff going on. There is a lack of togetherness. There's a lack of empowerment. There's all kinds of stuff. The worst epidemic in the world, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm a full believer in this, is that we now have people roaming the earth who literally have no idea what empathy is. Zero. They don't care about anyone else ever. And you can show them in front of them, like, hey, look at what you... I, you the person told Rob Manfred, hey, here's what is going on, and he doubled down. I reject the premise. It's right in front of you. It says 4,800 to 14,000. You think that's living wage? What are you, an ass? Give me a break. Seriously. Juan Soto. Juan Soto home run derby was phenomenal. Juan Soto putting on a show was phenomenal. I still, and it's interesting because in seeing, and I had you know come out and said here, uh, I think a day prior, and I, I'm still kind of sticking to this, that I don't think this is going to happen at the deadline. I think this is an off-season thing. I think it'll be months before this happens, just because I think it allows more teams to get involved. It allows teams that are, don't have the urgency because they have to make the playoffs today. It allows teams who are maybe more forward-thinking but have money, right, like the Cubs perhaps if they wanted to do it and make it work financially, Texas, there are a bunch of other teams who may not, I mean, look, Boston not playing very well. There are teams who may fit in that category and feel like, okay, I don't know if I'm winning a World Series this year, so the onus is not on me to go push and make this happen today. But I think that in the future, if I can get two years left out of them, I can do it in the offseason and give more value. I still think that's a thing. But I think part of what is pushing what I think it was Buster, we had it during the broadcast, his report about all these executives saying, and I've heard the same in the last couple of days, that, you know, there's there's at least a lot of chatter. And chatter will breed, you know, look, it's it's common sense. The more calls that are made, the more that the Nationals are fielding phone calls and Mike Rizzo's saying, hey, I got this guy over here wants this. And then he can then say to the next guy, well, this team's willing to go here. Then the other team goes, and it's like the game of Qbert. If you remember back in the 80s, everyone's taking a step and lighting that next step up. It makes it easier because then somebody is more apt to maybe get a little bit afraid that somebody jumps in front of them and makes the deal. So then they feel like, okay, I've got to really give the best offer now to get this to happen. And with with more, you know, more people at the show, th- there's a chance that somebody's going to take the stage and make this thing happen and turn the lights on on a deal. I, I still find it hard to believe that the, the Nationals will get enough. And from the leverage standpoint the need will be enough to make this happen in the next 13 days I don't, as we sit now. I, I don't buy it. However, I do want to say this. What hurts this and what helps it, what helps us in the business, we, you know, people are like, some, some, some jackass sent me, like, because I'm a, you know, a Mets guy, like sent me, oh, I, I bet you must be so happy that this is happening. Yes, I'm ha- I, first of all, I don't think Soto will get traded to the Mets. That's number one. And it's not because he's in division. I just, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Because I don't think that it's hard to say that a team doesn't need Soto, but I think the Mets are more apt to me. You think about like the 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 free agents, like an Aaron Judge and a Trey Turner, and some of the other scenarios that could develop. 
I, I just don't know because of the way their system is built if they're going to go ahead and dump it to go get Soto. They certainly could do that if they want. But remember, you've got an older Scherzer, and DeGrom is probably going to bolt. They kind of need pitching. You usually have to pay for that unless they're getting somebody that can re- replenish it in a deal with Soto, and then it's hard to imagine that's the case. So I might need the other guys I would trade for Soto to get the pitching. I, I just don't know if I see it personally. But the idea that, like, you know, everybody in the business is happy this is happening. Sorry, Nationals. Because the Nationals are bad anyway. And even though it's sad for them, you know, nobody's going to really feel like, oh, we're missing a lot if that franchise isn't in the thick of things. We're just not going to feel that. And what we will feel... What we will feel is a lot of conversation. Fact of the matter is, there's a lot of entertainment value in talking about trades. There's a lot of entertainment value in talking about a Juan Soto deal perhaps happening. So, of course, there's going to be, it's fun for everybody in the business to discuss this. This gave us something new to chew on. So, it's great, but I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. But what helps this deal possibly happening sooner rather than later is the fact that the Nationals are, and Soto is, being as vocal and as upfront in public as they are being right now. You know, clearly, this got leaked with the numbers, and to me, it's the Nationals leaking it for PR. I said that for minute one. I'm sticking with that. Why? Because the Nationals want you to know that they offered an amount of money that they know internally Soto couldn't take, but it's a big amount. It's a long expenditure of 15 years, and they feel like this enables them to say, now, as things had broken down, and they realized that Soto and his camp were ticked off, that, you know, this wasn't going to happen. You're not going to keep him long-term. They're going to have to trade him, whether it's now or in the offseason, whatever. They realize that this is a way for them to put out, hey, we did the best we could to not make this a shitty situation, but this is going to happen anyway. So Soto is greedy, or, you know, we just didn't have enough, but we gave $440 million as an offer, despite the fact the AAV is under 30, despite the fact that it's, it's spread out and backloaded over 15 years. We'll fool enough people that believe that's a great... Now, look, if you can't afford Juan Soto, join you know, 90% of the rest of the league. So it doesn't make you a bad person or a bad organization. But then you start doing Nationals-like things. And this has been going on for a long time. I mentioned in an earlier podcast, and I've said this before. Look, I don't think Bryce did everything right when he was there, but they really screwed over Bryce Harper pretty bad and publicly tried to kind of... And I think it worked because he still gets booed. They made him look greedy and like he wanted out and all of that, but they never really offered him anything of any substantial. It's kind of like very Braves like with the Freeman thing. It's like they never, they never made him an offer he couldn't refuse. They made Harper much worse, even offers he only could refuse, and then did the hotel bill offer where he's like on his way out. He's got like three minutes left to decide whether or not he wants to be a free agent, and they offered him $300 million and most of it deferred money. Like, you're not showing me anything that says you have to have me. I understand what amount of money that is, people. But let's pause and stop that again, and let's go through the lesson that I always bring, okay? Because you're going to have people who are like, how greedy is Juan Soto? And I'll get back into the, the situation with the Nationals and Soto in a second. But you're going to have people who are going to be greedy, Juan Soto, this, and I can't like the guy, and he's fun for baseball, he's got a great swing, but I, I thought better of him. I expected more out of you. I love when people do that. Like, I, expe- I expected more out of you. Like, you don't even know them. And he's a kid. He's 22 or 23 years old. You expected more out of him? He's 23. 
and he's about to make a half a billion dollars. What did you expect, him not to want to make half a billion dollars? So people say, well, for, if he really wanted to play for the Nationals, he would have taken the money. Now, look, it, I don't think that's true because the kind of deal they offered, I don't think he'd take. If he really wanted to play to the, for the Nationals, could he? Could he say, hey, look, uh, you know, learners, I want to meet with you, and I probably can get 530 in the open market. But if you give me 500 right now just to give me the number and you defer the last 60 million somehow over the last four or five years, I'll sign today. And, or, you know, try and create a company. There's probably more he could do. But first of all, that doesn't make him a bad person. Who would jump to go play for a team that's not going anywhere? They're in the toilet and they're going to be going backwards. And we don't know who's going to own the team. Could you have any more questions? Seriously. So you can't blame the guy. But people are like, oh, well, he's he's greedy. And I go back to, again, everything is relative to who you are and what you make and where you stand. If you make $40,000 in your job and somebody offers you $60,000 at the place next door, let's say you work in retail, all right? You work at Macy's and you're making $50,000 a year. And the person, you know, at JCPenney comes over and says, Psst, hey, during your lunch break, if you come sign over here, I'll sign the exact same deal you have, all the same benefits, and you'll make 75000 Guess what? It doesn't matter how much you love the people you work with, especially if you have a family, you're gone. That, think about the amount of money. That's right. That's, a, that's, that's 50% more of what you're making, right? That's a lot of money. Well, now imagine if you're making one hundred and fifty dollars or $200,000, and now someone offers you two hundred dollars or $300,000. You're going anywhere, barring medical issues or some family thing that keeps you in that spot. That's life, all right? So if you're making $440 million, it sounds ridiculous, but you're in a ridiculous world where you're like one of one, one of one, right? You got Mike Trout making four hundred and twenty-five, dollars and you got a chance to go be the highest-paid guy. If you know, and trust me, we all know, that somebody, they're going to be more than one dude who's going to call you up and as an owner and say to Scott Boris, hey, we'll give you 530, 520, 510. That's 70, 80, 90 million dollars and a better chance to win. That's not greed. That's just, that's just, it's a, it's a reality none of us can understand. And I understand that, right? I understand that none of us can understand it, if that makes sense. Okay. But it's still reality. If that's what you're making, you make, you know, $440 million, somebody ju who, who just had you, who you won a World Series with, said at 23, that's your value, and you got eight, 10 teams already that are jockeying who are willing to pay more, then you're going to get paid more. That's a reality that only Juan Soto can live in. It doesn't make him a bad person or a greedy person. That's, that's, the, that's what all of us would do. So let's go back to the Nationals who, you know, by putting out the number and starting the perception PR train of here's how we're going to look and here's how you're going to look. By doing that, you now get the contentiousness of Soto and Scott Boris and Soto at the All-Star game, you know, basically saying that they told me a month ago they weren't going to trade me. I don't know who to trust. All of a sudden, that you know, curmudgeon nature starts to get even more. The comments become more. He becomes even more sick of the people asking at his locker. And now you're in a spot where a lot of that that anger and that kind of that dark cloud, the, the, the ooze from Ghostbusters 2 kind of now hanging over the franchise like the Statue of Liberty, that's, that's a problem. And that could create a deal to happen faster. But 
what will be determinant of that, and Mike Rizzo is a smart guy and a good GM, will be how much the Nationals are willing to give in because they don't want to deal with it anymore. Soto's not making the trade. The Nationals are, right? The Nationals are making the deal. So if the Nats decide the more that this happens, and yeah, look, Juan Soto and Scott and all the stuff that comes out, it, it can certainly help make it more annoying, if you will, more frustrating for the Nationals to deal with and maybe put them in more of a situation where they make the deal quicker. Uh, I still don't know that it's going to happen. I think the conversations will continue, but I, I think if it happened, if it happened, it wouldn't be a team like the Mets who are in first place and the desperation right now, look, even though they want to win a World Series, they need Jacob deGrom to be healthy. They need Scherzer to stay healthy. They need to go get a DH. You know, Juan Soto, look, it would be amazing. But I, I don't think for them, because of where they sit, they don't think, if I don't get Juan Soto, I can't win a title. They can. I wonder in situations like, like Seattle, where you think about how far they've come and what they're doing now, in situations like that, is it, is it different story? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Look, if George Steinbrenner was still running the Yankees, he'd be a Yankee. But what about Aaron Judge's money? He'd figure it out. I mean, he'd be a Yankee somehow. Uh, I, I don't know what ends up happening with Soto, but I don't. I still going to hold to. I don't think he gets traded before the deadline, unless the Nationals are really going to budge and they're finding equal value. I've said this many times, right? Finding equal value is nearly impossible. The sooner this deal happens, even though, granted, I'm admitting, in the offseason, there's only two years left. Now you get a push this year, right, for a playoff for a team that's winning, and you get two extra years. I'm, I'm admitting that. Less time gradually cuts down the amount that you have to you know, pay, arbitrate. I understand all that. However, I still believe their leverage will be better in the offseason with more teams involved because then everybody's standings are at zero. Um, but we'll see. We'll see with Soto. But give me, give me a break on the idea that he's greedy because, please. And can we not? You couldn't get him a flight? Like, that's the other kind of cockamamie kind of, and I don't even know how to spell that word, really. But it's another one of these kind of like this pettiness that these teams get into. I understand how it sounds. Oh, excuse me. You had a fly, you know, economy? I get it. Right? All right? I even admit, like, I, I have worked in places where you get first class and you fly it for a while and then you fly back and coach, and I've flew in coach most of my life, and you have that one moment where it's like, oh, my God, I'm the asshole who doesn't want to be in coach anymore, all right? But this is, not, this is not about that. It's not about Soto had to fly in a middle seat and have somebody burping on him after they got tuna in the airport. No, this is about really, like, because he didn't do the deal – like, that's the crazy part. Because he didn't take the offer, now we're going to spite you? You're representing my franchise. I, I'm trying to sell a franchise, and right now you're on it. There's not much value in this thing right now, but you're the value I got. I'm pushing you out there. You're in a Nationals jersey right across your chest to go win the home run derby, and I can't fly out there in a charter like everybody. I mean, come on, man. Come on. That's some more shit. Give me a break. Uh, a couple more things I wanted to hit. One was the fact that I don't know if anybody else saw the, the first episode of the Derek Jeter thing. I, I, I liked it. I'm really curious about as this documentary, and I love these 30 for 30s, like keeps going. Like I was excited when I saw that a quote come out about Derek saying something to the effect, and don't quote me on It said something... It said something to the effect of that he 
that that A Rod wasn't his friend. It was something to the effect of that, like he's not a real true friend. Or, or I, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something that gave away that what we already know that the relationship is not like you know these aren't this is not Laverne and Shirley, right? But like Derek is so close to the vest. I've, I've mentioned even in a podcast, I think it was in the first episode about like interviewing Derek Jeter and there's like the Derek Jeter handbook. Like we've always we've seen him as like this really cool, nice guy. And I know people that are, are friends of his who talk about him in the way that we see him in that chair when he's talking like in the confessional portions of the first episode. But, you know, being fair, it's like, you know, we all know Derek Jeter is like, you know, just stay to the line and color between the lines and do what I'm supposed to do. And everything is like perfect. I'm really curious to see how much of that opens up. I, I want to see that opens up as we go along here in this thing. Because to me, I think... The, really a fascinating part of, of this documentary as these episodes transpire will be to see just how much he's going to unload about the pressures, how much he's going to unload about his relationship with A-Rod. But I thought the episode was good. I mean, clearly you, you knew it would be put together the right way. So not going to give you a give me a break on that. But uh, for the Derek Jeter episode, number one was good. I think the episode, the second one, it's coming out weird. What is it? It's, I think Thursday this week. Right. And then it comes out, I believe, early next week and maybe every week after that, it's early in the week. You can check on ESPN Plus. But I thought it was good. I thought it was good. Always good to have you. Episode number 18, Give Me a Break, is in the books as uh, we all uh, wonder how somebody who makes $17.5 million annually could sit there and speak the way he does about minor leaguers that his owners who he works for are only using anyway to their benefit. And we also wonder just how much Cowboy fans know that they are the worst. By the way, did you see the Giants breaking back the old school 80s, 90s uniforms for two legacy games? Very pumped about that. Catch me at Casey Stern on Twitter. More coming in the near future, including our big uh, week leading up to the trade deadline with special one-hour shows and guests and GMs and all kinds of stuff, which will begin on uh, Tuesday. I think it's, uh, what is it, uh, the 26th, I believe it is, but that Tuesday for a week. Uh, so hopefully you'll catch all of those, including Deadline Day, where we'll have some specials and reactions here as well. You can catch me at Unfiltered. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.